All right, let's knock this out. Not that I don't enjoy talking to you, but let's just get it I over have, with. I have things to do. I'm a I busy have, man, Philip. I have things to do. Important things. I'm an important man. Well, then let's do it. All right. Well, welcome to All Rings Considered. This is Book Three, Chapter Eight: The Road to Isengard. I think this is Episode Thirty, right? Episode Thirty. I think it might be. I think we're here. Episode Thirty. Um, that's huge to make it thirty episodes. Um, I said in one point in some early, early way back episode that uh, this podcast might end up being a record of our uh, descent into insanity as we keep going with it. How and, do you uh, feel so far? Do you think that's? I think it's happening. Out? Let me tell you why. No, it's not that, but it's it's um, last episode. I felt like I was going crazy, and. By the end of it, I'm pretty sure I said that the next chapter we were covering was the voice of Saruman, which it is very much not. We have like two chapters to go before we get there. I don't know why I said that. I'm calling the police. They're going to lock you up. I plead the fifth. Except there's just a record of me confessing the uh, (laughs) crime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what what do we have on the docket for today? What are we talking about? So we have The Road to Isengard is the chapter we're actually on. That's not the voice of Saruman. I guess there's an of in there. Maybe I guess that's where I got confused. Um, But this is a great chapter because I can summarize it very easily for you. Uh, Gandalf and Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Theoden, they all ride on the road to Isengard. That's it. That's basically the chapter. Uh, it ends with them getting there and meeting Merry Pippin, and that's that. So it's a big travel chapter. Not much in the way of events, but um, it's a fun chapter. I'm going to tell you why. The um, you know, actually, maybe I won't they tell you why. Me. No, you know what? Maybe I won't tell you why. Maybe you have to guess why I like this chapter. I'm test. I'm testing you. See if you know. Um, so you like this chapter because Pip, well, I, I can assure you, I, I read the chapter. I read. You the did. Chapter. I'm. Sh- you at least read the spark notes uh oh okay there so, it is let's see uh i'm gonna say you liked this chapter um because of the description of isengard uh no actually although i do like that part it's decent that that part only ranks third on my list i like this chapter because it's funny i like the humor in this chapter it's very yeah it's just very funny um there's this bit where they have ridden through the the forest of the Huorns, those trees that, as we talked about last chapter, came up and sort of trapped the orcs, and then whatever orcs ran into the forest, they sort of gobbled up. Um, they've gone through it, and Legolas looks back, and he sees some eyes. And he and Gimli are riding on the same horse, but Legolas is controlling the horse. He sees eyes, and he just can't help but resist. He can't resist turning around and walking toward them, and Gimli's freaking out like, no, 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 I don't want to see any... <laughs> do with these um it's great and then you know when they get to mary and pippin those two are just hysterical um it, just in general right uh, the way they kind of they, they try and talk all serious for a moment and gandalf is just rolling his eyes uh, it's very fun it's a very fun chapter yeah and there's a line at the end where um i forget if it was mary or pippin but one says to the other so that was uh theoden king of the uh, rohirrim very nice fellow yeah or, or that bit when Theoden 
mentions that they're smoking and he doesn't understand it and mary just goes well let me tell you and he starts launching into this whole history uh before gandalf has to say shut up <laughs> what do you think i also liked it um but let's see um notes i have anything of importance um just a quick note uh we've talked about this before but just the um there's this reverence about death that kind of permeates this book um even for yeah. uh uh sort of it's just kind of this background uh, assumption where there is uh, yeah this chapter is hilarious there's a reverence for death throughout it and it's just it's, <laughs> um yeah real light stuff uh yeah. but gandalf um when he is gathering up the uh men to go to the battle of um that we just covered uh he mentions that oh he also sent some men that he found to make a uh a grave mound um that they encounter on their way uh to isengard um so he you know there's this big battle and he sends resources to honor the dead um and you also have yeah. this cutaway um back to to helm's deep where a mound of stones appears in the morning uh when the trees had all departed um and the men there's let me find it oh yeah here we go um but a mile below the dike a huge pit had been delved in the earth and over it stones were piled into a hill men believed that the orcs whom had slain uh whom they had slain were buried there but whether those who had fled into the wood were with them none could say for no man ever set foot upon that hill death the death down it was afterwards uh, called and no grass would grow there um so i think it's kind of interesting uh just uh comes up again uh death this also line i want to mention about it i really like when tolkien does this from time to time it's a literary device that he uh he uses here and there where the narrator will describe things that will n happen in the future so we had this one part where aragorn left lothlorien and it mentioned that he would never come to lothlorien again and so this transition about talking about the future in an omniscient way that i think uh it's it's a nice little um sprinkling of that uh throughout here and i really like it Charlie, did you have anything that you uh picked up um a couple little things i really enjoy gimli's description of the glittering caves underneath helm's deep mm -hmm. just gorgeous gorgeous descriptions here um let me read let me read a little bit of them to you let's see the parts i like he he calls them immeasurable halls filled with an everlasting music of water that tingles into pools as fair as Kelid's arm in the starlight i really like that uh he keeps going he has a half a page description uh there's spears banners pinnacles of suspended palaces still lakes mirror them a glimmering world looks up from dark pools covered with clear glass cities such as the mind of doran could scarce have imagined in his sleep uh, stretch on through avenues and pillared courts on into the dark recesses where no light can come and plink a silver drop falls and the round wrinkles in the gro in the glass make all the towers bend and waver like weeds and corals in a grotto of the sea uh that's a beautiful description of sort of caves and the idea of stalactites stalagmites and uh comparing them to a city and just the imagery of the of water falling you know in the caves it's great yeah i'm always impressed you know, and it's actually strange. I'm always surprised too. Um, whenever I read this book, there, it, there uh, there's a masterful way of just um, 
describing so many locations that seem so beautiful that are also different. Mm -hmm. Like there's just a, a very unique feeling to every one of these like wondrous locations that are being described uh, that you would write down. It's like, oh yeah, we talked before about our, like if we were to hike through Middle Earth, where would we want to yeah. go for our destinations? And the list just gets very long. Yeah, this is definitely on that list for sure. It's, it's interesting that we actually don't go there in the narrative. Like we only get Gimli's description of it. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, that's true. Actually, it could be horrible, and this is just Gimli's. Uh, yeah, maybe Gimli's <laughs> crazy. It, right. He did just get hit on the head by an orc. He says so. He has a bandage. It says, and he's he's had a sustained the head wound. So you know. Yeah, you never. Know. But but I, I do I do think there's something to be said here. We get again in this chapter a good reminder of the power of story and the idea that stories and myths have some kind of truth to them, and that even our daily daily lives are stories and that there's not really such a division as we like to think and then we get the glittering caves only through a story we don't actually go there maybe Gimli's wrong but in the end he has to be right like his story is true it's whatever he saw I mean it's, it's some kind of reflection of his own reality and it's just as impactful and meaningful to him as anything else so it is a, and it's impactful on the reader as anything else so yeah yeah, I actually let me um, do a little jam session with you here. Uh, I hadn't actually thought about that, but you know, it actually has a huge impact for uh, the story of the um, of the cave has an impact on Gimli and Legolas's mindset too, because they have this agreement that oh, in the future, you know, they're going to go visit places together. And it's sort of this story that they're telling about, oh, when they're done with this conflict, even though both of them have some sense of this conflict not ending well. Like there's this sort of like, oh, yeah. you know, after this is over, but maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I, you know, I could totally see something like that being uh, taken from a, a war story that Tolkien himself uh, mm. involved. You know, I, yeah, you know, I've seen, you know, representations of, of people in, battles doing doing something like that saying oh after this is over yeah you know uh it, it'd be worth looking into it's been a long time since i've read some of these books but i know it'd be, it'd be worth looking into i know humphrey carpenter's written a tolkien biography um i know somebody I forget who has written a tolkien in the great war book talking about a service there it could something to maybe go into those sources and take a look for there, there, it's cool too that there's this running theme in this chapter of characters thinking about what's going to happen after the war did you notice that too i didn't notice we have that. gimli legolas we have theoden talks about it hmm. as well uh in my favorite section here in my favorite exchange after he's just met the ents he says he talks about how they sing about the ensign songs and he says and now the songs have come down among us out of strange places and walk visible under the sun good parallel line there to when aragorn and aomer met and aomer uh, compares the the hobbits oh to, yeah like do we walk in in mists or in the broad daylight you know theoden also says something about how for however the fortune of war shall go may it not so end that much that was fair and wonderful shall pass forever out of middle earth it may said gandalf the evil of sauron cannot be wholly cured nor made as if it had not been but to such days we are doomed so for, you know for theoden he's actually thinking about well, what are we going to lose Legolas and Gimli are thinking about the happy result of the war, mm -hmm. something they could do after. And Theoden's sort of thinking about what, what's, uh, what's going to be gone forever. And Gandalf doesn't comfort him by saying, oh, you know, it might work out. He says, yeah, 
we probably will lose something. We not probably. He says we will. He he does say the evil Sauron cannot be made as if it had not been. Right. We, we talked about too that in that chapter, the King of the Golden Hall, that David and the Rohirrim have that attitude throughout of of a world that's in, inherently going to be changed. Um, and things are declining and dying and, and just have to, and that's just the deal. Right. Let's see. Other notes I had. Um, I just had a short note about, you know, uh, some imagery of, or rather symbolism of Isengard cutting off the river. I mean, I just, okay. you know, just to, to point it out. Uh, yeah. Water Water Watch. It's Water Watch. You thought it was gone, but no. I did. It was just dammed up. But, you know, uh, I think there is oh, maybe um, I took it a little bit as Saruman trying to. I mean, I think there's this uh, idea of stopping the natural order um, mm-hmm. that's interlinked with Saruman and part of the natural order being the flow of time. I think it's you often see villains who try to escape death just across all media where villains say, you know, I will I will go against the natural order of things. I will not die. Mm-hmm. I think there's a I think there's something there about that. Um, certainly water represents life in a lot of contexts. Saruman using it for his own purposes. Yeah. Um, just wanted to point it out. Um, but one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to say about Isengard um, that I think often gets overlooked is I think the description of Isengard is a really powerful mm-hmm. uh, set of paragraphs. Um, I'm not going to read them, but I just wanted to mention that you know Isengard is described as having um, these stones that are covering their the uh vents um for the the uh furnaces and uh works that are going on underneath the ground um so that mm-hmm. at night it looks like a graveyard they describe that at night when smoke is coming out of those vents the color of the smoke could be uh red blue or or, or green um mm-hmm. there is uh oh i will read one thing it's a description of the roads in Isengard's, the paths, and says, But no green thing grew there in the latter days of Saruman. The roads were paved with stone flags, dark and hard, and beside their borders, instead of trees, there marched long lines of pillars, some of marble, some of copper, and of iron, joined by heavy chains. So you just have these roads in Isengard, Isengard that are big pillars, like, lining the sides. I think it's just a very... I don't know, very picturesque of, of this place. Um, yeah, I think the description of Isengard uh, mm-hmm. is great. I think interesting connection I made of, with Isengard in this chapter that I never picked up on until doing this podcast with you is Isengard in Orthanc is described as... In Orthanc, by the way, of course, for the listener out there, just a quick reminder, that's the tower within Isengard. So Isengard's the sort of region, I guess, uh, Orthanc's the more specifically the tower Saruman lives in. And, and Tolkien describes it as being only a little copy of Barador in Mordor. He calls it flattery of Barador, which to me made me think about it's like a mockery of it in a way. Hmm. Um, and we talked about in previous episodes is the orcs mo- mocking and jeering uh, the men. And when I read this, it made me realize or whatever the orcs do, whatever Saruman does, you know who doesn't ever mock anybody? Who? Is Sauron. Hmm. And I wonder if there's some interesting weakness there um, in these characters that aren't the ultimate, ultimate evil, which is really Sauron here. Not to say that Sauron doesn't have some flaws. We've talked about in one chapter, we've already seen Gandalf say, 
Sauron has blind spots and he can be too he can only assume that people would do what he would do in the situations and so he struggles to understand like selfless sacrifice and stuff yeah but actually i think it mock anybody i think he you're onto like, something his his most loyal lieutenants don't either you know i don't think the witch king actually i'm gonna take that back witch king we are going to see a mock kind of mock gandalf uh, in a couple books from now but so uh, rewind that but we never hear of it that's a trait of sauron but only of all these underlings of his yeah you know and, and specifically the paragraph you're mentioning or saying it's uh sauron's um orthonk is a little copy child's model or slave's flattery and of Baradur. Uh, which suffered uh, Baradur, the Dark Tower, which suffered no rival and laughed at flattery, biding its time, secure in its pride and immeasurable strength. So I think, I think you're onto something about the pride of of Sauron. But it's like he's yeah. secure in his pride. Right. Like I think mockery implies there's something you're insecure. Sauron, in some ways, insecure. He doesn't intend to mock Baradur with with what he's done here at Isengard, but his own insecurity kind of makes it that way. Right. Sauron himself has, is secure in his pride. He's proud and he doesn't need to mock anybody to get there or imitate anybody or whatever. I, yeah, I'm not yet sure if there's a greater meaning to that we can draw out, but it's worth thinking about. If nothing else, it makes him more threatened. Yeah, we should just keep an eye on it as we get through. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's all I had. Um, yeah, do you have a favorite line? Um, yeah, it was the line I read earlier. I'll just say it again. When, when Theoden says and now the songs have come down among us out of strange places and walk visible under the sun excellent um my line comes from it's a uh, prose line not a uh, thematic line this time uh, it comes out of when uh, uh the writers are approaching isengard mm-hmm. um but out of the deep shadow of the dale rose a vast spire of smoke and vapor as it mounted, it caught the rays of the sinking moon and spread in shimmering billows, black and silver, over the starry sky. So, sounds pretty. Yeah. I like it. Beautiful. Chapter title is just 5 out of 10. It's just descriptive. Road to Isengard, nothing special happening here. I feel like we're just getting a lot of those. Maybe we need to stop ranking them and assume it's a 5 out of 10 until I say otherwise. 5 out of 10 is average. That seems good. Yeah. Yep. So if it's if it's significantly less or more, that's when that's when we'll talk about it. Sounds good to me. All right. So uh, next episode we have chapter nine, flotsam and jetsam, uh, and only then after that chapter will we have the voice of Saruman. So just throwing that out there. All right. See you next time.